Welcome to the Cloud Podcast, where the forecast is always cloudy, where we talk weekly about all things AWS, Google Compute, and Azure. I'm your host, Justin. Jonathan. And I'm Peter. Welcome, guys. It's uh, exciting to get this podcast off the ground. I know we've, we were trying to get this up and running you know, right after reInvent. Peter got the plague. Jonathan had some things going on, and I was trying to uh, get all the everything in place, the website and the logo and all of that. So Welcome. Super excited to talk about reInvent, what happened at reInvent, and as we go forward, you know, we'll start talking more about Google and Azure. Uh, you know, I'm super excited to be joining you guys. You're both fantastic technologists in the cloud space, and I think this would be a really great weekly format for us to talk about the cloud. Yeah, likewise. Super excited. Never done this before. Looking forward to it. So let's uh, let's just jump right into it. So you know, leading up to reInvent, Amazon got really busy on the announcement front. I mean, I, I think. Overall, it's something like 42 uh, announcements over the course of the weeks leading up to it and through the reInvent week. And even after reInvent, there's been several things that have come up in the last few days, even. Uh, this kind of hit some of the really interesting ones that kind of came out pre-reInvent. The first one being the Route 53 resolver. You know, this service basically allows you to uh, set up DNS forwarding back to your private data center if you're using Direct Connect or some other technology to connect back to your private data center. And this is really interesting because it really supports that hybrid cloud model yeah, I mean, we've been uh, we've done a ton of setups to try to allow easy access back and forth, um, especially hitting private URLs from uh, Amazon's managed services from the data center. Um, that's always been very painful. I'm actually I'm super excited to see this finally. Um, and up until now, we've been deploying our own custom DNS servers on AC2, forwarding traffic between private Route 53 and the on-prem data centers. But that, that doesn't scale; it's pretty expensive. So this is this is a great solution finally. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something I think uh, customers are really going to get a lot out of and, and really simplify a lot of architectures and, and make it much better. The other one, uh, you know, which is there's a lot of really basic uh, housekeeping announcements that kind of come out before reInvent. And this one really falls into that category for me. And this is really around the ability to do tagging uh, of both ECS containers and ECS clusters, and as well as IAM resource tagging. On the IAM side, it's, it's quite interesting because you get a ton of security benefits where now I can say, based on my IAM tag for this user, they should have admin rights. Then I can then write compliance rules around that. I can do ah. different permission sets around that. So there's really some interesting use cases that this really starts to allow that you know on the surface don't really make a lot of sense. But when you really start to dig into it, it really does start to click on how you can use those really interesting solutions and technologies. I think it's taken them a while to get around to this because the, the uh, IAM controls for tagging themselves have been a bit sketchy. I mean, if you give anyone permission to create a tag, they can tag anything and replace tags on anything. So using it for any kind of security, what do I want to say? Bad plan. Yeah, I mean, pretty much it's been a voluntary compliance tool to trust the people that they're going to use it to protect from themselves and not uh, not circumvent. But the ECS one is super cool too. We look at customers who want to use tags for cost optimization and, and cost tracking, and but then you want to run big ECS clusters so that you could uh, you know increase density and share that amongst teams, and and then you're back in the ballpark of not knowing who's using what. So tagging resources, I'd imagine we're going to quickly be able to spin that into uh, tracking costs. There's still some features I'd like for tagging. If you share AMIs across account, you, you lose the tags in the destination account, and um, you still can't tag an, an actual account with anything, which I think would be pretty useful in the future. Yeah, I mean, tagging of an account is really an organization's feature, and I, I waited a long time for organizations to come out for AWS, and you know, they finally released something two years ago, and it's just been really slow and coming up to maturity where it needs to be. But I, I do hope that comes at some point in the future. And maybe next year we invent, we can talk about that. Yeah. 
But, you know, if you're talking about tagging and security, I love to tell you about my good friends at Foghorn Consulting. Uh, Foghorn has been around since 2008. They have been on the forefront of cloud enablement and have delivered powerful transformations for hundreds of clients from startups to Fortune 500. They were early visionaries and practitioners of using code to automate infrastructure and operations to drive up cloud efficiencies while driving down your costs. Over the past decade, they have created a library of code that customers can leverage on day one, saving time and money. We recommend Foghorn without reservation. So check this out. Foghorn is one of the few Amazon partners who are able to offer the well-architected reviews. They're complimentary, confidential, soup-to-nuts analysis of your current architecture and spending. Check them out at fogops.io, and that's fogops.io to learn more about their FogOps services and FogSource code library. So let's let's get into the meat of reInvent. Um, so, you know, I arrived way too early for reInvent. I got there on Saturday. Uh, we enjoyed watching the sharks get destroyed by the knights. Uh, and, then, and then we, uh, you know, we jumped right into reInvent on Sunday with some of their big announcements on uh, Sunday Night Live, which again was the first 3,000 attendees, first announcement of reInvent. And then right into Monday, where we hit, you know, at least nine major announcements by my count, culminating in Peter's uh, Monday Night Live session. Was a couple of ones that you know popped right out to me, of course. The first one is AWS transfer for SFTP. Yeah, you know, we've had customers asking us to build SFTP or just plain FTP solutions, and we've done several implementations of it. And I'm so happy I'm never going to have to do another one again. <laughs> Uh, that's just one of those things that just it was it was painful to to build ourselves on top of the building blocks on Amazon and uh, it just it's been so ripe to just make this a, a protocol that's supported for S3. We're super excited. Yeah, you know it's it's amazing to me how many clients and customers still really rely on SFTP as a core piece of their infrastructure. And I'm a proponent of usually rewrite that logic into S3, but. You know, there's a lot of companies really tied to that SFTP protocol and, and you know, old old technologies have a hard time dying sometimes in the space. But, yeah, I'm super glad not to have to build this either. It's a bit on the spendy side. Uh, my rough take on it was about $200 a month for customers who really are still stuck in the Stone Ages using SFTP. Uh, it's probably not that much of a cost for them. It's probably a, a drop in the bucket compared to the other costs. Yeah, I'm super glad this came out. I, I do hope to see some optimizations and some improvements to it that doesn't support security groups, for example. But that's that's just Amazon typical stuff where first day announcements are always a little bit light. But I definitely think there's potential there. Now, I'm hoping this is a, a really good migration assister and uh, we can lift and shift apps to Amazon and then go back and re-engineer the FTP service later and get rid of transfer service. Yeah, now one of the announcements that I'm actually, I, I love the name of it but I have no real understanding of it is firecracker. Uh, it looks it looks fantastic, you know, on surface. I don't. I love the name though. I mean, Amazon naming can be uh, a bit opaque, but uh, the Firecracker name I, I really like. But uh, it's definitely interesting how they're releasing their Lambda, you know, runtime system to basically allow you to run micro macro or micro microservices uh, on a host. I I have no use case for this yet, but uh, I'm definitely interested in where this is going in the future. Yeah, that was my problem with the announcement. Was usually the the products that Amazon announces, we've already all felt the pain for so long waiting for the feature because we've been architecting around them. And yeah, this is one that sounds like a super cool technology that I haven't seen the pain for yet. So I mean, it must have come from a customer because everything they do is customer driven. And uh, I'm curious to see how people are going to be using that. Yeah, I, you know, I definitely had the similar feelings around Lambda <laughs> when it first got announced many years ago. I, was like, I don't, I don't know if I understand this event based thing. And now everything I do is Lambda. So it's one of those things that I'm sure there's really great use cases. And I'm super excited to see what people start doing with this technology. But um, yeah, it's, it's a little early days, I think. And I'm definitely curious where it goes from here. 
I, I kind of wonder if, if Lambda was the driver for Firecracker, actually. It's so well-focused on, on performance. I mean, like 125 milliseconds to spin up a new VM um, is just right in the in the ballpark of uh, where Lambda needs to be for cold start times and things. So I wonder if they were their own customer on this one. Yeah, it's possible. Right. So, so the other one that, uh, as a guy who does a lot of Amazon implementations, this one saves me so much time, simplifies my architecture, and that's Transit Gateway. Uh, I could have kissed somebody on Monday when they finally announced the service. <laughs> I've been I've been asking for it for a long time. You know, we you know where I'm currently working, we we tried to do this with a you know Juniper and Cisco and a bunch of different ways, and nothing worked right. Uh, this one this one makes me super happy, and this is the ability to take multiple VPCs, run them through a transit gateway, and basically do my east west traffic routing between either Amazon accounts or multiple VPCs, multiple regions, and really simplify that entire routing infrastructure. And that's really uh, what you need to start thinking about when you're getting into a multi account strategy or into a very large multi regional um, deployment of an application. This one this one is going to make a lot of customers happy. I think. Yeah, it's been a long long time coming. I think this is my my oldest feature request. It was going back like five or six years to some of the first projects we worked on together and uh, it used to be the ipsec tunnels and uh, strong swan or open swan this is fantastic and really well priced too yeah i mean it's kind of a fix right because um we can't you know amazon i think originally pictured vpcs being very few per customer you know back in the day when customers had one or two maybe three accounts and were running in they they had imagined one vpc per region and and now you know with customers in the dozens to close to, you know, to potentially hundreds of accounts. The fact that you need VPCs in each one and in each region quickly, you end up with a a network that's almost unmanageable. And um, this is kind of a fix for that. Alternatively, I'm I'm curious to uh, see if they've even got another plan of VPC construct that just allows you to run instances in a VPC that's not in your account. And then you can just have they, one they, VPC, right? They announced that. Yeah, they announced that. Oh, actually. there you go. Where was, was I? It was the. I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, I don't know where I was. Either. I, I read it kind of in the um, in the post notes after after reinvent. I thought this is strange. What's this VPC sharing thing? Yeah, you can actually have a master account with a VPC in it, and it owns the configuration of the VPC and the subnets and the routing tables. And then you can um, you can share the VPC with other accounts, and they have access to deploy into it, um, whether it be lambdas or EC2 or RDS or anything else. But they have no control over the the infrastructure of the VPC itself. So we can have huge VPCs. We know our slash 16s now kind of like the, the data centers we're moving away from. And then uh, many, many accounts all deploying resources into there. And I'm not sure if that's something that we'd actually want to do. Uh, maybe it's another one of their migration uh, helpers. But yeah, yeah, we'd seems, hope. Uh, yeah, we'd hope that it'd be, we'd hope that VPCs could be ephemeral and dynamic. But the reality is usually we're, um, we're migrating from an organization that has a network team. And that network team is often still responsible for managing the network. So why not have one of them? Yeah, it's still a weird feature. I, I wonder you know, what it does from a security context is now I have, you know, who actually owns the VPC, where do knackles get controlled, are they controlled on every account level? Uh, it was it was also definitely a weird announcement. It kind of came late on the day on Thursday after Werner's keynote. I, I don't remember which session it was announced at, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how customers use it. I, I do see your point, Peter, that 
you know, the network team is typically the team that owns and manages this infrastructure. And so if you could centralize it for them, that does add some value. But yeah, it's, it's definitely weird. Um, I, I, I'm definitely curious on this one as well. It's kind of in the boat with Firecracker for me where I'm super excited to see what people do. I just I just don't really know. Before we move on from the pre-announcement stuff, is there anything else here that you guys want to maybe give a shout out to? We don't have to talk about it too much, but um there's definitely a lot of announcements Monday and Tuesday before we get into keynote days. And I, I, uh, I will tell you, I have been playing with Amplify a little bit, uh, a shameless plug for the website for this podcast. Um, and so I was doing quite a bit of work with Jekyll and, and working through some of the stuff there. And, and for other reasons of I didn't have time to really kind of code out what I wanted to, I just pivoted over to WordPress. But um, the Amplify stuff was actually really cool for doing a very simple Jekyll website, the APIs you can write, you know, it's basically kind of a mini API gateway at some sorts, you know, that you can plug into a static website um there's some really cool use cases for traditional static website hosting with JavaScript and some really interesting things you can do there that I didn't even touch in this particular experiment. But I was I was just impressed with what they came out of the box. That's a really nice accelerator for a lot of companies. So speaking of acceleration, the Global Accelerator Service announced, which is the, the Anycast service, um, is is absolutely fantastic. I, you know what? I'm, used to, I'm so used to sitting around in, uh, in groups bitching about things. I, I, that's not the tone I want to take with this kind of thing. Um, so, uh, do I have anything good to say about Global Accelerator, which isn't about killing Akamai? <laughs> probably, probably not. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, I, this this one definitely comes out of customer pain, and I'm I never thought that Amazon would do this service, and I mean, naively in my part. But you know, as soon as they announced it, and I was like, oh, they're that's totally an, an Akamai call. They're tr- they're trying to go after that space. Customers are complaining it's too expensive, and they're not getting enough value, and. Amazon's already built out this fantastic CDN network with CloudFront. This is just the natural extension of that. Um, so I, I think it's a great move. I think it save a company a lot of money uh, and a lot of heartache and also eliminate another vendor out of the stack. There's some people who are really anti the cloud for the vendor lock-in and all that. And I, I'm not on that side at all. I think there's a lot of value in locking into a cloud and, and getting that acceleration and innovation and the platform services that you get out of these companies. And this this one is just a, this is a slam dunk, in my opinion, that's going to get a lot of customers to really take this more seriously. There's, there's, I guess there's very few use cases for, for global acceleration which, which lie outside of what you couldn't already do with, uh, with uh, load balancing. And so we kind of wonder which, which market they're really going after. Is it streaming market? Is it, is it closer IoT endpoints? Um, is it UDP support? That kind of thing. I, I think it's purely an enterprise play. I think there's a lot of companies who have you know, had Akamai come in and tell them, you know, yeah, you could rewrite your traffic, you could rewrite your web application, put your static assets out on a CDN, and then you get that stuff accelerated. But you know, with our solution, we sit in the middle of it, we intercept all that traffic, and we accelerate everything. There's no code changes, there's no nothing you have to do, and it's the easy button for CDN. And so customers who are in SaaS or in some other web hosting type situation, they typically don't always have the skill to necessarily break their website into static assets versus non-static assets. They don't understand caching in the right way. And Akamai just made it easy. And so when you get into, now we're going to move out our data center, we're going to move into Amazon, we're going to do these things, and you still have to do that acceleration. You still have to pay that big check of money to Akamai. And this now gives them a different option that I think is really interesting. And I, I think it's a total enterprise play. Um, I, I mean, I definitely think there are probably some other use cases I'm not familiar with, but the, this one to me is the problem I've always had to solve in SaaS companies where we're like, well, we really need to get acceleration to the desktop, but we don't have time in the dev platform to actually get the dev work done to make it happen right. Well, you know, Cloudflare a few months ago showed exactly what you could do with Anycast with a uh, 1.1.1.1 DNS service, which which launched kind of, kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. And the performance of that thing is amazing. Like sub 10 millisecond DNS results, you know, pretty much anywhere in the uh, continental US is pretty impressive. 
impressive. I guess if 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 I was a, an Amazon customer hearing that Cloudflare could do something like that, my my first response is, hey, I want to do that too. All right, so you know this this has just got us through Tuesday, and I don't know about you guys, but I was hurting by Tuesday. <laughs> Not a lot of sleep, a lot of announcements, a lot of things going on. I did a workshop on Tuesday. I know, you know, Jonathan, you did a hackathon that you guys crushed. Peter was, you know, I know Peter was doing customer meetings, but I was exhausted by Tuesday. And then we go into Wednesday and things start really getting interesting. But first, let's talk about my good friend, Corey Quinn and his newsletter last week in AWS. If you are looking for a rundown of everything going on in AWS that isn't this podcast, which uh, every Monday morning, Corey sends out his rundown of all the announcements from Amazon. And he adds a special flavor of snark and sarcasm and other awesomeness to make your day much better on a Monday morning. If you haven't subscribed to Last Week in AWS, check it out at lastweekinaws.com. Sign up for the newsletter and get that little bit of happiness every Monday morning uh, with a little bit of sarcasm and a little bit of snark. So let's jump right into Wednesday's keynote. So Andy this year, you know, and this is my fifth reInvent. I don't know about you guys. How many have you been to, Peter? I've been to all. I've been to all seven. You're you're at the first. Yeah. Huh? You're lucky guy. This is just, this is my third. I, I uh, skipped last year. Yeah, we should talk about that next year. We're heading into reInvent. Why you why you chose to skip? Because there was good reasons. But this year, you know, Andy's great, and I've heard Andy talk many times, and. Uh, you know, he's always been a good speaker, but this year I felt like he had done some serious presentation coaching. He was on it for the entire presentation. There was not a dull moment through the whole thing. Uh, his oracle shade that he always likes to throw at Larry was fantastic. You know, just subtle enough, enough to uh, not be obnoxious, but you know, it was there. <laughs> that was not subtle. <laughs> his head <laughs> popping up on the slide, I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> well, you know, your definition of subtle is mine is different. I, you know, I was interesting. If, if you happen to have watched Larry Ellison's keynote from Oracle World, he mentioned Amazon a lot, and I actually was curious how many times he actually said it. So I, I went and downloaded the YouTube video and I ran it through Amazon Transcribe. And I counted the number of times he mentioned the word Amazon. And it was over 100 times in that keynote. Oh, my God. So just taking Amazon to task, telling him it wasn't secure and all that. And Andy gets up there, basically shows this beautiful, you know, cloud market share slide and says the other guys and then Larry Ellison's head pops up. And that's it. That's the only thing he told Only time he mentioned it. Just a little bit of shade. I just love that. And even in the years prior, he's just had these like little digs, nothing major, which is really fantastic. Now, Werner, Werner was a little bit more uh, on the offensive with Oracle, which we'll get to a little bit. But uh, I was I was really impressed with Andy this year. What about you guys? I liked him. I think this is um, I've always been more of a more of a tech guy than the business guy. So I've always enjoyed Werner's keynotes more than Andy's, I think. But this year, I think it's the first year I, I thought the Wednesday keynote with Andy was was the best. Yeah, I thought what you know, coming from the first couple, Andy has always been, I thought, has always done a really good job of pointing, you know, pointing out some competitive areas where Amazon was ahead of the game. And uh, what's changed now is, you know, back in the first few, the arrows were really pointed at the hardware companies who were cloud washing, who were pretending they were selling cloud, but they were really selling hardware to their customers. And now his focus has really shifted to the other cloud providers, pointing at, you know, subscription revenue for Microsoft, which, you know, isn't actually being used by their customers, just included in EAs. And, uh, and so I thought that was kind of a telling mark in the industry where it used to be that Amazon was competing against hardware, and now they're competing against other cloud providers. So it leads us to believe that they're going to see more competition in that space. Yeah, definitely. So he announced a ton of stuff from 
Amazon Outpost, which we could maybe spend a minute on, to Deep Racer League, to Amazon Forecast, Cloud Map, Dynamo, a new database and time series database um, now covering you know every type of database that people talk about and all the cool all the cool kids talk about. But uh, you know, there's a lot in there, a lot to unpack. And, and actually, one of the things I would say is that. Maybe there's a little too many announcements uh, in these keynotes now, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I, you know, you get that little tease and you're like, oh, that sounds really cool. I want to know what that is. And then you're, they're on to the next announcement and you kind of don't get enough uh, of what this thing actually is, which then requires you to go to the deep dive session later in the afternoon, which is it's a good teaser for that. But uh, definitely, you know, sometimes you're lacking a little bit of technical detail. But let's talk about uh, Amazon Lake Formation. And, you know, I bet, Peter, this is an area you're spending a lot of time talking about. Customers. So why don't you take us off? I don't know if I can. <laughs> uh, we're, uh, you know, uh, well, just in general, the concept of data lakes is on everybody's mind. And it's the first thing people want to do is get all their data to the cloud so that they can start using it in different ways and um, getting it out of the silos of their various data centers and applications and, and be able to do some more holistic analytics on those uh, on that data. But you know, I think it's an area where everybody's so interested in it and everybody wants to get the data there and tools like this are going to be super cool. But I think people are still trying to get their data there, actually, you know, so these tools maybe are going to be the the final straw to make it worth everybody's while. But I, I mean, I can't wait to do some projects with it, but I'm, I'm not super familiar yet with what we're going to be able to do with it. It's kind of interesting. I, my Amazon used to be uh, all about primitives and let people build their own things from the primitives. I, I think things like lake formation really is just a bundling and a relabeling of, of their existing services. I mean, it's, it's certainly managing a lot of the security around access to S3 and the data that you, you dump into there. But on, on the... Um, you know, underlying all this, it's S3 and it's EMR and Spark, Redshift and all those uh, all those existing technologies. So I think it's kind of a marketing piece as much as it is the uh, technology. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because for the last two years, I wrote, you know, they would talk about in the keynotes people building their data lakes on top of S3. S3 has kind of become standard for data lakes. You either are using Parquet files or you're doing other data formats uh, onto S3. So in my mind, you know, I agree with you. I think they built the primitives they needed first with Glue. EMR, Hadoop, SageMaker, and these things that you know help you in a data analytical uh, scenario. But I think this is just their way of saying, look, we, we've kind of reached a maturity level where customers don't always want a primitive. They also need a solution sometimes. And you know, I haven't looked enough into the lake formation yet myself, but you know, I think there are some trade-offs you have to make. There is some control you're losing in the process. But the fact that customers now can just kind of jump in and if they have a very defined set of data, just start pumping it into a data lake and then kind of figure out the next steps later. Because really, when you're talking about big data and machine learning it's not about the technology and this is my big when i talk to customers about data lakes is the data lakes the easy part there's a ton of companies who make you software there's a ton of companies or a ton of technology that'll do hadoop and emr and all those things but really the bigger question is what is the question you want the data to answer? And that's really where I think Amazon wants their customers to be focusing and really start thinking beyond the technology because the technology is the easy part and there's a lot of great stuff there. But yeah, it is a little weird because it isn't a primitive, but there was a de- there's definitely several announcements in in this keynote. You know, Amazon Forecast, you know, to give a comparison, is, is basically a built-out machine learning engine to do financial forecasting, you know, revenue and loss. And, uh, you know, that's not a service that I would have thought they would have provided, but 
you know, you definitely see, you know, they're starting to kind of think a little bit differently about, you know, maybe we need to provide more solutions to the market. And I think Lake Formation is a good call. I think it, it gets us in the right direction and it starts making things easier for customers to get immediate value versus saying, okay, first, you know, lift and shift your 5,000 servers, you know, go through the cost optimization hell. And then, you know, then you get the value and the innovation that you really want. Uh, instead, they're saying, look, you know, if you want immediate value, we can deliver that too. Yeah. And I mean, you can't, you, we always see a skills gap with cloud technologies and, and tools at customers who are in the process of transforming their own capabilities. And uh, and then when, obviously, there's going to be a skills gap when, when primitives are brand new. And I think that uh, when they can package them up, it just gives people the uh, a quick way to get those quick wins, the value. And, and then that could be a flywheel for going out and learning the primitives and actually potentially customizing to do what you really needed to do. So some of the announcements that were here on the keynote two were a little interesting to me. He had two on-premise announcements. Uh, first one being RDS on-premise uh, and the second one being Outpost. Uh, and now they brought VMware CEO out on stage to do the announcement with Outpost. Outpost is basically Amazon infrastructure that I now put into my data center to run EC2 and a set of services that they'll launch over time. Uh, into my on-premises data center, and I can either use Amazon native hyper, you know, hypervisors and, and technology and management here, or I can opt to use VMware's you know solution there, and that's really interesting for a lot of different reasons. You know, Azure has a similar play where I can go basically build Azure on-premise. Um, I didn't actually think Amazon would go down this path, um, so it's really interesting to me that they've now decided that this is the time for them to really embrace hybrid. Um, and the, you know the other sign of this is that they released the RDS on premise, which is the ability to run RDS as a container appliance in your data center. So I want RDS MySQL, RDS Postgres. I go get this special VMware VMDK. I load it into my on-premise data center, and then Amazon does the management and care and feeding of that RDS instance. It's just really interesting. What do you guys think about this one? Yeah, I mean, just as far as um, just having one API to write to, that right there alone, it just makes so much sense. And I think Amazon is confident enough in the benefits of the cloud model that this isn't like, I heard some people uh, sort of saying, oh, this is backtracking. But I mean, I don't know. I think it makes a ton of sense. They know that there's going to be some workloads that uh, customers choose to run on-prem and how convenient for them if they can standardize on the AWS API for all of their provisioning automation and operations and security automation. Uh, this sort of, I think, makes it a lot easier to standardize on the AWS API. And then, um, you know, that's a really competitively strong place to be when you're competing not against on-prem solutions, but you're really competing against the other cloud providers. I know you do a little bit more with Azure than I do. Uh, have you seen customers adopting the Azure on-premise, or do you think, you know, this is Amazon admitting that hybrids may be around for a little bit longer? Yeah, um, I haven't seen any customers using Azure on-prem. Uh, it's all been cloud-based, and it's mostly been driven by the um, by the credits that are included in their enterprise agreements. Uh, that's a you know, a huge lure to get people to try. And um, when you look at just in general, uh, you know, we're in the Silicon Valley. We, we've got a lot of, uh, we're working bleeding edge companies oftentimes, but when you get to other parts of the country where there's a lot more Microsoft tooling used, you know, people are a little bit on top of the wave. And so there's a great opportunity for them to dip their toes in the water. But isn't, isn't the RDS on-premise really just an outsourced database team. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what I saw it as, is that's how my database team run RDS 
and they just focus on the application database concerns, which is really where you want your database administrators to work, focus anyways. They're expensive. I don't need a database guy who knows how to run my SQL. I need a database guy who knows how to optimize my query. So I, I think it's an interesting play. I think it's kind of it's kind of great in a lot of ways, and it does solve a lot of problems. But I bet there's a lot of DBAs out there who are a little bit concerned about you know their future if they're definitely on that infrastructure side of the equation. You know they they were under attack a few years ago by a couple of companies that were doing database uh, administration as a service. You know, they kind of all that, that didn't really take off in the way because it's really managed services in a way that people didn't weren't really comfortable with yet. But you know, those players are still out there doing it too. And I think the more the database guy can kind of really focus on their application needs and and focus on those versus the MySQL or Postgres piece, that's it's a great play. Yeah, and I mean, if there's so many more things. I mean, if you look at what RDS actually does, you know, the, the management team. That's a pretty low management um, as far as people management goes. And, you know, they're really just exporting the the automation. And, man, that's the stuff that if I was a DBA, I would want to do less of so I could do more of anything but be responsible for backups and other, uh, you know, failover scripts and, and those things that can really bite you if you don't do it right. I think for me, one of the most interesting things about RDS on-prem is going to be um, enabling migrations again. It's uh, it's such a challenge to move you know multiple terabyte sized databases from uh, a data center through Direct Connect or through the internet to to RDS without significant downtime, even with Snowball. And so this kind of tech means you can migrate locally uh, to to the RDS service and then uh, enable some kind of transparent. Uh, replication. Yeah, for Postgres specifically, MySQL. There's some there's some pretty decent options to to basically daisy chain replication to uh, upgrade version and migrate into RDS at Amazon. But I think the options are a little bit limited for Postgres. What about this uh, Deep Racer League? What do you guys think about this? Are we getting into the world of gamification of cloud? I I, I love it. I love the idea of it. I ordered the car. You know, within five minutes of the announcement. Um, I, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting because I mean, it's it's you're not programming the car to do things. You're programming a uh, you're programming the system which trains the car to do things. And I think I've been looking for a, a really good AI project for the last year or so. Nothing's really stood out as being interesting. And um, to to see you know radio control style cars, uh, you know anything robotics and AI. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be really exciting. I think uh, Wait, we'll probably. You know, I used to I used to race radio control cars. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, yeah, it seems super cool. Uh, I did not order one, but maybe uh, maybe I'll pop into your place and we can uh, we can try yours. <laughs> well, I guess you know the the disappointing way of doing it is just to use their simulator. But who wants to do that? <laughs> right. Much more fun with the car. But yeah, yeah, they're a little bit out uh, ahead of time. They're you know they're not shipping till March. Um, I do hope it turns out a little bit better than the the fish last year because they had they had the uh, the Alexa enabled Billy Bass Pro fish that they promised on stage would come out and never never actually shipped. But I, I think this one actually might make it out the door, and uh, I'm super excited about it as well. I think it's going to be fun, and and I, it's it's an excuse for me to learn how to do uh, machine learning in a way that I I hadn't really thought about. So yeah, it's it's going to be cool, and I I'm really ex- interested in the league part of it and this competition that the best teams are going to get invited to come to reInvent next year and compete live their machine learning algorithms it's, in, it's gonna be interesting to see how that turns out and, and you know what challenges they can throw at them because if you're practicing on the simulator and you really narrow down your machine learning algorithm you know 
that's just one part. But now you got to throw some challenges at these guys because that little simple track they had this year is is great. But in a year from now, if machine learning people are doing as well as they think they are, that car should be able to zip around that track like nothing. Well, it's not only that, right? I mean, if you've, if, uh, I've done some real track and uh, go kart racing, and uh, it's not about how quick you can get around the track; it's about um, your strategy and how you drive with other cars on the track with you. Yeah, right now it's only it's only time trials. You're you're, yeah. you're the only car on the track, so multiple cars on the track will be interesting to see. And I think some really complex looking courses where you know where there's intersections and things where cars have to be cooperative to some degree to win, otherwise they're going to roll off the, uh, the the side of the track. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's tons of opportunity to uh, yeah. program your car to be safe so that you finish the race versus be aggressive. Assuming yeah. that other people programmed their car to be safe. <laughs> I was wondering, do you think we could get a sponsor like, you know, maybe Tesla or uh, one of the other self-driving car guys? And maybe we could they could loan us their machine learning algorithms to kind of give us a heads up. And we'll just put their logo on the car and we're like sponsored by Tesla. <laughs> you think that, you know, because there's a lot of research. You know, and those guys may be a little bit ahead of the game. They've been working on this machine learning problem in the real world I, for a long time. I love shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting watching the um, watching the final deep racer race on stage before the keynote on um, on Thursday. You could see that two, two of the two of the guys had followed the white lines around the edges, and um, the other guy the other guy followed the uh, the stripes down the middle of the lane. It was pretty it's pretty interesting to see the different implementations. I'm sure next next year is going to be it's going to blow them out of the water. Yeah, I'm really excited to see the the evolution of this over the next 12 months, and you know we get to next December. What it, what do people have, and, and how's it look? So let's, uh, any, any other items you guys think we should touch on from Andy? I mean, there's a lot of depth here and I, we could, I mean, some of them are maybe a little dry unless you're enterprise space, but uh, some of them are, you know, really interesting. I think, um, you know, if you want to talk a little bit about Security Hub, you know, the ability to centralize all these security tools that Amazon's deploying in the system and now as well, pull in third parties and get that single unified dashboard for your security team. That's, that's pretty powerful stuff. And I know the, I was at the CISO talk uh, on Tuesday and he was talk- He was a little disappointed he couldn't get announced this project because uh, Andy was so excited about it. He got to announce it, but um, you know. And I went to the demo on Thursday afternoon, the the actual session, and I was I was impressed with their releasing this product. So who's this competing against? Is this the the, the logic killer? Is it the uh, the Qualys killer? What? So it doesn't really think it's a killer of any of those. I mean, it's really a single pane of glass of both you know Amazon Guard Duty and Macy and. Uh, inspector, and if you're using those things, it you know natively integrates, and so I can see the risks that I have in my account. But then you can add in you know your Qualys data to it. You can add in your Redlock data to it. There's a ton of things you can add to really you know continue to build out that capability. And so you know if you are trying to use some of these more legacy tools, you know they have nice integrations that then can get them the context of the Amazon piece, which they were missing before. You know I think it's early days for what it can do completely, but you know it's a great step forward. It's really a nice a nice improvement uh, if you're doing a lot of from the security space, uh, I think it definitely you know put some guys on notice that if you know you're you're trying to get away with single pane of glass SIM solution, uh, I think this might be a good alternative for some companies. It's not a complete SIM, but it it, it gets you started, and I think that's a good a good place. And also has feeds into Jira or ServiceNow or any of the ticketing systems or SIM systems you do have. Um, so it gives you just that that context and that integration natively, which is really great. Yeah, and I think that this is sort of it aligns with the whole. Uh, strategy around the multi-account strategy with then uh, aggregation of security. You know, we're already doing it, log aggregation, already already centralizing a lot of this. And uh, when you go out to a relatively new, large uh, enterprise who's getting their landing zone set up and, and getting, you know, prepping to launch 
uh, production workloads. Uh, this is their one main insecurity is, you know, we don't know if we've got everything. Did, did we get everything? And so I think this is going to make people feel really comfortable. Amazon is the one who put it together. And so it's, it's going to be a great place to be able to show uh, other stakeholders who are concerned about moving to the cloud that, hey, look, we've got, you know, we've, we've got things under control. Yeah, do you feel it's a little bit of, um, you know, using Amazon to secure Amazon? Do you feel it's a little bit of wa- the watcher watching the watcher? Like, it, you know, I, I wonder from a CISO perspective, and, and I make no credits to being a CISO in any way. Uh, you know, I wonder how they feel about this. Like, th- this is, yeah, it's nice you're giving me something, but you know, can I trust you because you're also the provider, right? It's it's interesting. I, I I'm curious to see what customers really think in this space. But um, you know, I know what what my CISO thinks. I know what others do as well who I've talked to. But uh, you know, I I think it's a great thing for a lot of startups and a lot of companies who who maybe don't have a full fledged security team yet and. You know, like machine learning people, security people are hard to find and good ones are even harder. And I tell you right now, I know that people are, are, you know, buying security professional services from Amazon. So I could see how many would want to separate those two uh, functions. Uh, But also, I think there's a lot of value in knowing that Amazon built the tools and uh, potentially, it's a good starting uh, starting point, you know, because otherwise you're you're sort of building that stuff yourself, even if you're leveraging another tool. And then, did you get everything? Um, I think it's I think it's going to be well received. Any any other services you want to you want to give a shout out to? Something you're you're excited about, or you don't have to get too deep. About I was it. I was um, happy to see EC2 hibernation finally. It's it's been one of those things, another one of those feature requests that have lurked around for a long time. It's not quite what I. I hoped it to be. I mean, it's 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 really like the the native ACPI hibernate to disk kind of thing, which is, you know, yeah, is it that useful for EC2? I don't know. What I, what I would like to see would be like a suspend to disk uh, at the hypervisor level rather than a um, OS type hibernate. But I guess at least at least now you can actually spin up some machines. You can get them re- ready to go, and you can make an image of the machine in its hibernated state. So when it boots up, um, you know, it's it's ready to go in thirty seconds instead of. Uh, you know, three or four minutes. Yes. But- so is it, is it is it using OS level hibernation or is my understanding was that it actually takes a snapshot of what you have an active memory no. and basically pauses it and sends it to S3. And then when you want to bring it back, it comes back. No, it's all, it's, it's basically just like a PC does at home or, or your laptop. You shut the lid. It's, it dumps the, dumps the RAM to disk, which was quite disappointing. Um, I was, I was very much hoping we'd get more, more access to the, uh, this, the, the, the running config of the machine, uh, you know, for things like forensics, it'd be super useful to, to take a snapshot of the current, contents of the RAM, basically. Um, but I don't think they're prepared to open up that kind of uh, API to the hypervisors. Well, I was kind of thinking of having a bunch of machines that are already joined to the domain and hibernated, and then auto-scaling um, is actually just unhibernating those boxes. That's, yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah, that's basically how OpsWorks used to do it. I mean, they, they didn't have auto the same kind of auto-scaling as EC2 native. You'd have to pre pre prep the machines and then shut them down. You could have scheduled power on and power off. So now in this, it's kind of like the OpsWorks style um, scaling where you've, you've got a, a pre pre-built pool of machines. So yeah, that would, that would work. Interesting. It's a good cost saving measure. All right. Well, let's talk about our last sponsor for today. And that's us. We, uh, you know, we're definitely excited about our podcast. And if you're interested in sponsoring us and you will love to talk about your company, you can make Jonathan or myself or Peter say all kinds of funny things. 
uh, you know, for the low, low cost. Uh, ping us at pod at thecloudpod.net and send us your information and we'll reach out to you about potentially sponsoring the show. And we'd love to hear from you soon. Let's jump into Thursday keynote day with Mr. Warner Vogel. Uh, let's talk about his impressions of his keynote today this year. Uh, what, did you, what was your take, Jonathan and Peter, and, and where, where, what were you surprised about? I think he spent an awful lot of time on the Oracle, you know, walking us through the the reasons that Amazon's database solutions are better than Oracle's. As, as, yeah, the, the whole narrative around my really, really bad day at Oracle was, or at AWS was really interesting. Yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot of time, and there's a lot of people sitting there listening to that for a lot of hours, and I, I would I would like to have seen that a little shorter, I think. Um, and then the the S three um, the S three presentation about about the resiliency of S three and how that works that was interesting technically, but I I didn't feel like it was a uh, keynote worthy. You know, it's interesting because there was a lot of talk in the hallway track after that about you know there's the people like you who are on the side of that was pointless. I don't understand why you spent so much time on it. To the other side that you don't remember reinvent is a learning conference, and so while you and I have been there for multiple reinvents and we're we're living and breathing this every day you know there's cios and ctos who are still making that initial decision to come over to the cloud and they don't maybe understand what aurora is or maybe they don't understand why it's better than oracle so it's interesting because last year if you look at his keynote it was very much you know his kind of long-term vision of how he wants to see computing change and it was a very engineering focused talk and this year he kind of up leveled it to being a very like intro to aws aurora class he's still trying to educate and teach people about the cloud and and this is one of those areas where i it's a struggle for me because i agree with you i wanted a much i wanted a payoff for that like okay we talked about aurora for you know all this time like tell me about Aurora Global Database or tell me about something that's new with Aurora that makes me excited about this thing that makes it even better. And and that was really kind of the, the lacking punch I felt to that whole thing. But, you know, I, I definitely heard that hallway track where people are saying, this is a learning conference and there's people who don't know what they're doing. And there's people like us who are like old stodgy Amazon people who've been doing it forever. And we're like, bah, humbug. Yeah, I've noticed that trend though all um, for several years in that I, I don't know if uh, they're changing their, if, uh, the keynotes and the sessions are changing and becoming oversimplified or if I've just learned too much and uh, it's like a groundhog's day, you know, which it's the same thing all over again. Yeah. So, but he did, you know, after he got through that first part, he did definitely jump into some announcements. And uh, one of the ones I was actually really excited about is uh, what they're calling Lambda layers. And, you know, from a, a layman's terms, at least in my simple brain, I think of it as Docker layers on top of Lambda. They're not quite the same because Docker allows you to do a lot more control. And these are very prescriptive about what you can or cannot do with a Lambda layer. But the ability to, you know, take an application that we used to have to run up an entire J, you know, JVM, all these prerequisites, and then execute your code, that's a lot of time in startup. That's a lot of time spent, you know, building to compile before you even get to executing code. I make that all into layers in advance. That's all there. And now I'm just executing those layers and now my custom bit of code. And that really helps some of the cold start problems and some of the other issues around performance of Lambda, particularly in Java, I think, um, but also in some you know, .NET and some of the other areas. I'm a huge advocate for serverless and, and for, from, for Lambda since, uh, since it was announced a few years ago. This layers thing is interesting, though, because I, I don't see that it brings any, any new features to Lambda. Uh, what it does is simplify the development process. I mean, now, now your deployment packages are tiny because 
you're bringing in these layers that somebody else has built that provide the you know the, the bone the rest of the bones of your application so you know it's it's kind of interesting i think it's going to be um a bonus for the engineering side of things but as far as as far as the tech goes it's not that thrilling yeah i mean i don't know i i guess the, the only thing that popped in my head when i heard it was just sort of drying up your lambda code in general um by leveraging layers but uh I wasn't necessarily thinking the performance angle that uh, is clearly going to be beneficial. I guess maybe I'm being overly negative about the whole thing. I, I, there's definitely some use cases for this where maybe maybe you, uh, you need to deploy a bunch of data along with your code. And now you can move all the data into a data layer. And then engineering works on their, their application and just deploy that on top of the, the, uh, the data that gets populated into that temporary space so I, I guess i guess it has it has uses talk about uses for old and stodgy how about the my, my team was a lot <laughs> calling me out when uh when they announced ruby on lambda oh i was i was so happy <laughs> i've been waiting for i've been waiting for ruby support in lambda for i think since they announced it i was like when's ruby coming and everyone looks at me like i'm crazy uh it, it means a little bit too late for ruby but uh, you know on, in addition to announcing the ruby piece they also announced the runtime support so now i can bring my own custom runtimes so we you know if you want to run rust uh you know as all the cool kids apparently want to do these days you can you can run rust in a runtime now and and have that capability out of the box um but i i personally i'm super happy about the ruby announcement like i'll, I'll use the crap out of it I, yeah I, i'm the, the runtime support is is fantastic especially with the integration of uh, alb's to lambda now now we can move any php application that used to sit on ec2 um into into a lambda function and uh, it's just another one of these cloud enablers yeah it's it's i think it's going to be interesting times I, you know you're seeing the one thing that I would say I was, and this is a little bit of a wrap up, but you know, the one thing I was thought was really missing from both keynotes and even from the week was just overall container announcements around either EKS or ECS. And, you know, I'm wondering if that's a bit of a messaging that Amazon's giving us of saying, hey, containers were a nice stepping stone, but Lambda is the future. And you're going to see us investing a lot of time and money into making Lambda the best runtime for any type of code. And, you know, why do you need that container overhead? Why do you need all the complexities of something like Kubernetes uh, to manage something as simple as a piece of code you need to execute in a container? And I wonder if we start getting, we start seeing, you know, Fargate and Lambda start merging together closer and closer over time where, you know, this this need of infrastructure to run containerized apps or even, even an event-based app like this in Lambda, that just, those lines start to blur more and more over the next few years. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, for, you know, it... Uh... I always thought of Lambda more as um, event-driven and function-driven uh, versus, you know, actual uh, application services. So uh, one of the, you know, there's a couple other interesting things that got announced in Warner's keynote. Um, the first one is Manage Kafka. Um, and, you know, Amazon has been, you know, had their own version of Kafka, which is Kinesis, which is probably an insult to the Kinesis and Kafka. They're, they're different, but they're similar in their design. You know, they're both born out of, you know, LinkedIn at some level. And so, you know, when you talk about Kafka use cases, typically with Amazon, they're like, well, I don't just use Kinesis for this. But the market clearly is telling them that Kafka is a big deal. They need to support it. So they've they kind of rolled out this this managed Kafka service. But the, the thing that I am most intrigued about is that this is probably one of the most MVP services I've ever seen them announce at reInvent. Um, you typically get the announcement for something like this, that's this MVP, and they say, it'll be available in preview shortly. And that's that shortly then equals, you know, two to three months, <laughs> and then you can get access to it. But this is, this is available now for everybody. It's only in one region. 
it's missing off, it's missing TLS, it's missing a bunch of technology things that would really be required to make it functional. But I wonder how much of this announcement was, A, some admittance that they need to support Kafka because that's what the market's demanding. Number two, they got a lot of criticism for you know pre-announcing things that then took nine months to deliver. And so they wanted to get something out in market to get feedback right away. And the third thing is, you know, what does this mean for Kinesis and Kafka? Is it going to go similar to the way the the Kubernetes route has where, you know, they were really big on ECS, Kubernetes took over the world and they had to kind of ma- they had to meet the market where the market was demanding they be. And does this mean Kinesis is actually losing in the space? It's, there's a lot of interesting questions that this announcement raises for me. I think at scale, uh, Kafka beats Kinesis um, in terms of number of events per second. Um, I, I guess... This, the larger enterprises that have driven the need for this managed Kafka service. Yeah, I mean, you look at lots of the Amazon services, and oftentimes there's heavy overlap, and oftentimes they want to have cloud-native proprietary services that where you get the trade-off of deep integration. Um, so you trade off portability for that deep integration into the rest of the platform, but they don't want to bet on it. They they want to give you both options. Right? They want to they want to let you use, bring your own and make their money on their on the usage of the underlying hardware. But they also want to continue having these native services that integrate more deeply um, available as an option. What about the uh, the fact that they announced it with so little features? What do you guys think about that? I can think of other things they could have announced. Things that things that they announced pre pre reinvent, which w- would have uh, filled the space better in a keynote. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I thought there was a lot of announcements that were sort of preview coming soon, um, which is kind of weird because they, you know, they prefaced the uh, reinvent with "There's so many things to announce, we have to start announcing them before reinvent," and then many of them were coming soon. So, did they really need to announce them all? I mean, I mean, they need to spend you know thirty five minutes talking about how amazing Postgres Aurora is compared to Oracle. So you know they didn't have the room for those announcements. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's it's definitely it was an interesting you know again because looking at what they announced pre and even just in the last week since reinvent, yeah, it, it was a weird choice. But I, I definitely feel like they were they're responding to a market demand, which is that they needed to have this and. And for teams who are managing Kafka, they, you know, they'll tell you Zookeeper is a pain to keep running. You know, Kafka takes a lot of care and feeding. And if Amazon can release some of that pain like they're doing with RDS on the database side and make it so I can just worry about the, the topics and the transmission of my subscribers and, and uh, receivers, that, that seems like a much better play. And so I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. It's like I said, it's it's too early to be used in anything serious. It's single region. It's it's got some a bunch of things from the security side. I think they're missing that make it a, a non-starter today. But I'm definitely curious where it's going to go in the next few months. Yeah, I wonder if they have a, a existing large customer that met that customer's use case and MVP. Like you know, nope, all public data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is their opportunity to get it in the market and start getting other people's feedback while uh, meeting the needs of their one big customer today. So uh, Werner has been busy, apparently. He's you know traveling the globe, filming his new TV show called Now Go Build. Did either of you guys check this out? No. I did not. So uh, this is homework for both next of you. Week? Next week? Yeah. 
it's it's about 30 minutes and we will talk about it next week in depth but i watched it shortly after the keynote when they announced it because i was getting ready to head to the to the structure and i had it on the background I'm, i need to watch it again too to get some more detail but uh, my initial reaction is it's anthony bourdain but if it was technology it's very interesting it's, it's quite cool but let's talk about it more in depth next week definitely check it out it's about 25 minutes or so and we'll talk about that Let's move on to the most important part of all of reInvent is the replay part. This year, they brought Skrillex back, which is really full circle for me. I My first reInvent was five years ago when Skrillex came the first time. And so I was super excited to see him again. And I thought he, he did a fantastic set that night on Thursday night. Uh, but they also added some new things too this year. They had a new venue. They went down to the SLS Hotel and Casino, uh, used the new fairground area for events. And then they also had some bands there as well. You know, if you weren't into the EDM music, they had bands, had, of course, a lot of food and drinks flowing like freely. What did you guys think of the replay party this year? I did not attend. I was home already. I had to fly home that afternoon. That's what happens when you get old, Peter. I know. Well, you know, at six replay events in a row, I think I was ready for a night off. It was it was definitely a spectacle. The, uh, the Skrillex set was, was fantastic. I would love to see that scene where the, the biggest DJ tells the biggest CTO of any company that, hey, why haven't you invited me back? I'm not sure how much I believe that story but it's a great story if it's true i think that's awesome the last two years they've been building this amazon village and it worked fine the first year but last year was definitely feeling the strains of forty thousand people so i I think the new venue is great i I do hope they continue to use that i actually was wondering why they're not just using the t-mobile arena i think that'd be a good choice too but you know i think it's a good choice and if they go back there again next year i'm super happy with that so let's move over to our you know overall takeaways so uh you know uh, i felt this was a much needed improvement over 20 2017. Uh, you know, last year they said roughly about 40,000. This year they said it was up to about 50,000 people. But it didn't feel like they added 10,000 people this year. They fixed a lot of the transportation problems between the venues with the buses. I didn't still didn't make it to a bunch of sessions I wanted to make it to, mostly due to logistics issues or other competing priorities I had. But overall, if you if you skipped out this year based on how bad last year was, I think you you might want to take a look again in 2019, as I think they, they fixed a lot of logistical issues. I mean, I skipped out last year because I thought it was going to be a bit of a train wreck. And it, and it was. was. <laughs> and so, so this year, I went back this year, and uh, yeah, by all accounts, way way better we, we use the bus service a bunch of times didn't have to wait long i mean the traffic in vegas is, is crazy and the fact that the buses don't seem to be able to go up and down the strip is kind of frustrating you know it takes like 45 minutes to get somewhere and you could probably walk in half that i mean I, I guess overall bus service the point-to-point service was great the way they distributed the sessions between the different venues was was really well done this time and i think the way the um the session bookings themselves were done was was better this year where they only allocated like two thirds three quarters of the seats to to reservations and, and let the rest go to walk-ups was uh, was really was really good fewer people complaining about not making it to the sessions they wanted this year yeah i think i don't know if it's just that my expectations were better set this year but i already knew that i'd rather walk than take the bus and sort of had that in my head so it was definitely more tolerable than last year uh, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, too many meetings, too many meetings and not enough sessions for me. So next year, I hope to uh, hit more sessions for sure. I, I agree. I mean, you're paying a lot of money to go to the conference and go to the sessions, but then they're on YouTube within 24 hours. So it, even if you can't get into it, I'm like, ah, it's okay. I'll watch on YouTube tomorrow. And and it, now I will say it's it's been two weeks and I, I still have a playlist of about 10 to get through. 
But the focus on sessions is important and that's good. There's definitely things you can do with your time, you know, the session floor and, and talking to vendors and, and meeting with clients and customers that are valuable too. And I, I don't think that's a bad, I don't know that it's as valuable for me to go and go to the sessions as it is to be there and do all the other extracurricular activities that are important for my business and what I'm doing. But it's hard to say. And I, I do hope they continue to drive, you know, optimizations in the program and what they're doing. And, and they're really good about feedback. You can definitely see that they spent a lot of time and effort this year really fixing the sins of 2017 and, and the pain that they suffered. So I'm, I'm definitely curious. They did also announce a new conference that's going to be the first one ever in Boston in June called Reinforce. Uh, and this is going to be a security-only conference. I'm actually kind of excited about this because definitely when you're at reInvent, the sessions that are the most popular are the security sessions and the machine learning and AI sessions. So having a whole two days focus on just security, I think is going to be a really great move. And it might pull some of those people out of reInvent who you know have a conference dedicated to them now and not come and do the big conference in Vegas. I think it's a good move. And I actually would encourage them to maybe think about that for other, you know, other areas as well. You know, maybe a developer conference, maybe a develop a DevOps operational conference. You know, that's not a bad idea. And it kind of allows them to kind of really, you know, market and fit the content better to the people who are attending. Yeah, we'll definitely be at Reinforce. That's just one of our one of the key areas of business for us that most customers find interest in. So yeah, we'll be out there. And I hope you're right. I hope that it does lighten up a little bit on the amount of people down at, at reInvent. Well, great. Thanks for joining us here at the Cloud Podcast. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting, the Last Week in AWS newsletter, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.